0: These coronavirus special reports are meant to reinforce the Atrium Health community and how we each give, the different ways we contribute, the challenges we face, the innovation we deliver. We are in this together and we will beat this virus together. So I have the the great pleasure of introducing uh, you all, our listeners, to some of our IAS leadership and team that are actively involved in addressing the COVID response from a technology standpoint. Uh, with me on Skype, I have uh, uh, Miss Becky Fox, uh, Miss Pam McCreary, and Dr. Matt Sullivan. And so let me first let them introduce themselves to you and, uh, and what their roles are and how long they've been here. Becky, would you mind sharing what you do with Atrium?
1: Sure. Thanks, uh, Dr. Joy, for having us today. I appreciate the opportunity. My name is Becky Fox, and I am the Chief Nursing Informatics Officer at Atrium Health. I've been here for about five years, and this is my second time working for Atrium. I used to work as a staff nurse in the ED and in some of the other inpatient areas, So, um, and then also a little bit of time in IT. So it's it's always good to be working at Atrium. I feel like this is my home, but Um, I wish we were all getting together over other circumstances, but I can't think of a better place to be with with my colleagues on the phone and, of course, throughout Atrium as we face COVID together.
0: Thanks, Becky. Uh, How about you, Pam? Can you share a little bit of who you are?
2: Sure. Thanks, Dr. Joy. Um, I'm Hayne McCreary, and I'm the vice president within clinical informatics within IT, and I have uh, main responsibilities for the clinical applications that all of our teammates use on a day-to-day basis to provide the care.
0: Excellent. And and Dr. Sullivan, yourself.
3: Uh, good morning, I'm uh, Matt
0: Sullivan? Uh Initially an emergency medicine
3: physician, now board certified in ED and as well as informatics. And I've joined the team a few years back. I'm the Associate Chief Medical Informatics Officer for Atrium Health. And uh, it's great to talk about the things we've tried to do to support our teammates here.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and I've been listening in on a lot, a lot of these calls and hearing of all the wonderful work and, and, and the rapidity in which we needed to have some of this work accomplished. And I've been incredibly impressed by the IT and our informatics team's response. Um, I'd like you all to just share maybe one highlight by each of you as as an example of some of the things that you've achieved in, in, in such a rapid time frame. Pam, why don't you start off, if you don't mind?
2: Um, sure. I'll start with maybe some of the themes that we use to yeah. initiate the work. And as a team, Becky, um, Matt, and myself, we really we really wanted to focus on current existing workflows that were hardwired within our clinicians and leverage those, expand them to meet the needs within the COVID-19 um, infrastructure that needed to be put in place very quickly. And I think our reasonings behind doing that were to decrease the change management, um, the cognitive friction that our providers and clinicians would experience, as well as um, it would increase our ability to scale very quickly if we expanded on what we knew and were able to provide solutions very quickly. Can you give me an example
0: of an area where that workflow implementation was uh, in effect and, and happened, as you described?
2: Certainly. Um, One of the the main workflows that we have in place is our COVID-19 power plan, Power plans are a mainstay in our workflows, and what we did was we encapsulated all of the, the needed and necessary steps in order to order testing so that our providers would know exactly what they needed to do, when, and how. And then within that power plan, it also includes orders to our virtual hospital, which I'm sure we'll talk to, talk about later, as well as discharging um, the patient and anything so that they needed after discharge. And um, another example would be we leveraged our quick visits within the ED, um, and that is a a very familiar workflow to our physicians. So we were able to kind of match them and meet them where they were. Fantastic. Thanks, Pam.
0: I'm going to segue real quickly over to Matt, if you don't mind. Matt, uh, when she talked about ED and you being an ED doc, Um, What what exactly have we done in the ED space that uh, has sort of enhanced the workflow, but also made this safe and efficient for our teammates as well as other patients?
3: So you hit on it real well, Saj, and and just to build on the things Pam said,
0: the first thing we've
3: really tried to do is make sure that all the alerting that we can give to our teammates from the moment that a patient who is sick sets foot in the building is to tell them, look, hey, protect yourself, wear the right PPE, make sure that we have the right alerting and the right uh, banner of our notifications as well as the right orders put through for isolation to keep everybody safe. Um, The second part is, as you know, the ED is is a doorway to our hospital and to our our system. With that being a big door, uh, we have to make sure that we coordinate a lot of EDs in the region uh, to drive and be part and connect to the bigger picture and that bigger picture as i think we'll get into here in a minute really will be how do we manage surge and how do we manage that through the use of uh, the medical groups uh, really brilliant idea of this virtual hospital at home uh, people like dr murphy and dr bachelor have spent uh, now about six weeks thinking about this and trying to uh, get our ed team to tee up the right patients to the right location is the secret sauce of how we can try to keep people out of our bricks and mortar making more space for patients that are ill and then be better able to accommodate the surge that our data analytics and forecasting team has worked tirelessly to give us the best numbers that we can so that we can help our our enterprise be really ready to take on uh, the tsunami of patients that we think will come here uh, in the beginning of may so I think all of those pieces from the ED's perspective are hard. It's a lot of change. It's a lot of every day the criteria of testing is changing based on supplies that are nationally in shortage. Every day the PPE supply and, and, the, and the process for managing and cleaning. And those are lots of moving parts for um, what is already a very busy environment. So um, we've been trying to make sure that all of our education goes out. We're trying to make sure that everybody's as clear as they can be. Um, And we're trying to be respectful of the fact that, boy, those people are working hard and they've got a lot on their plate. And a lot of the things that we do every day that change things means that they have to pivot mid-stride. And they've done a great job, frankly. We've been able to take a lot of patients who are suspected COVID and conserve our testing and send them home right to the observation unit. Uh, We've been able to uh, connect with our virtual acute hospital and get patients who are right on the borderline that in in last year's mindset, we would have admitted. But now we're able to put them into our virtual acute hospital. And today we're trying to do all sorts of great things like make sure they have the right supplies and make sure they have the right equipment to go home with. And that takes a lot of people and that takes a lot of integrated work. And hopefully IES has been able to help hardwire some of that to make it smooth and make the, make the uh, transition easy
0: well that's uh, you all have and you just sort of hit on so many different points there that we could go down a different conversation Uh, but I want to make sure before I ask you another question I want (laughs) Becky to chime in a little bit too uh, and and let me know uh, from her perspective from your perspective Becky uh, what are what's an important win or something that we did early on that uh, that uh, you'd like to highlight
1: You know, I think uh, one of the things that's been helpful is we've had to uh, ask our teammates to really be flexible and how we set up new things, whether that's in testing sites or ED extensions or new processes. And so I, you know, what we've tried to do is make sure that we've got the right support people at the right locations, the right communication sent out, the right education sent out. I think um, it's a lot coming at all of our teammates. And one of the things that we're trying to recognize is how do we do it easier? How do we make it simpler? simpler to digest and to understand and then you know I think that's the uh, mindset that we're going into every single new change is how do we continue to make it simple and easy for our teammates so that's one of the things that kind of collectively overall I, I know it might not feel that way sometimes when you have things kind of rapid fire coming at you but but that's where our teams are is how can I make things easier so Everyone's been really great with uh, trying to ad- adopt the changes as they come in, give us real-time feedback, um, and I, we've really appreciated it. We, we are having some trials of some new things. So, so, for example, we've had some critical care nurses and some med surgeons nurses weighing in on using different technologies. So, um, you know, we talked to some great colleagues from across the United States who are a little bit further ahead than us in the COVID process. And so one of the recommendations that came from them, and you know um, articles that were shared with some of our leaders too, was about how do we leverage things as simple as a baby monitor. So we quickly acquired a couple of baby monitors, took them up to a unit, you know, checked them out with some of our nursing staff, talked about the workflow and the impact. And if you have a patient on isolation, how something as simple as being able to look into the patient's room without going in and without putting on PPE might bring some benefit to the workflow. So, um, I'm happy to say, you know, everyone was really quick action on that, and and we're now working forward on a plan that hopefully we can bring something as simple as a baby monitor into the workspace to help our clinicians feel safer, be able to connect better with our patients, and for our patients to have a better experience, to feel like someone's really there on the other side, and they don't have to wait until a periodic time when someone comes in um, with head-to-toe PPE. So, that's just one little example, Uh, you know, it's uh, it's not fully baked yet as a, a rollout plan, but it's it's I, I'm really proud of our teams trying to be quick action, think all the way through, connect with all the right people um, to make sure that when we do put something in place, it's the right thing. Oh,
0: that's it. That's yeah. Well, you also hit another interesting point because I was going to ask a question related to what have we learned from other hotspot areas that have uh, dealt with this earlier than we did and, and more severely than we have to this point. And so just uh, what you just alluded to, having conversations with those colleagues throughout the country and and integrating technologies to to make ourselves uh, uh, save resources, but also protect our teammates um, without compromising the care for our patients. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. And and, uh, can I get you to elaborate one more time real quick on some of the the flexibility of teammates uh, with regards to testing sites and and sort of the COVID testing sites work that you all did. That that was pretty impressive early on as well and something that we're still continuing to use.
2: Do you want me to take that, Becky? Okay. Um, So initially when the testing sites, we we received the request to stand them up, we, we stopped and we got everybody on a call and say, okay, exactly what could a process be? And we wanted to understand what we could do, how quickly we could do it, what staff would be involved so that we would be Sure that we had developed the right positions for them, we had the documentation ready, and there was a workflow that was repeatable and scalable, which I think is really the underpinning of a lot of our work in IT, is to make sure that the system is is there for them to use and we can repeat it and train it and continue to scale it, because scale in our organization is probably one of the most important aspects of our work. So for the testing centers, we um, actually got the experts at the table, and we had them, you know, tell us exactly what problem they were trying to solve, how they envisioned this working, what kind of a cadence we could have patients show up at, and they actually ended at at every five-minute cadence, which is pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. Um, And they were able to initially, you know, it was really a testing queue, and patients were um, tested very quickly and then moved through. And now we've even expanded that. So if a, if a sick patient shows up to one of our testing centers, we can actually do a consult with one of our physicians and have that patient um, consulted with right there on the scene at the testing center. So it was one, that's another example of our, the flexibility of the teams and the IT infrastructure to be able to evolve a process as the need changes.
0: Absolutely, the adaptability uh, and, and the, the the quickness in being able to respond, that's awesome.
3: Hey, Saj, do you mind if I sort of tab, I mean, Pam some really good points there. No, I no, just please. want to make sure that, that there's the daily work, the operational output, which I think a lot of our teammates see. Yeah. But there's a ton of work that goes in behind the scenes to try to figure out what's the best approach. And you pair that with a lot of people coming out of the woodwork with new equipment and new software and things that, you know, America is trying to respond to COVID. And those people that are talented are trying to give us the best of the best that they think they have to offer, which may be vendors we've never even interacted with. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've been behind the scenes working with Dr. Shrestha's team and in innovation to sort of make sure that we have the best of the best. And it was really reaffirming to me today to be on the, the, the call this morning, which is the group of IT leaders for the state of North Carolina, and recognize that we have vetted and evaluated and implemented nearly every strategy that anybody else in the state has done, and that was really wow. comforting for me. We have gone beyond to look at new partners and new contracts, and mm-hmm. and in a time of crisis, really uh, evaluated all that while at the same time figuring out all the problems. You know, how come the trucks at the testing center don't have perfect Wi-Fi coverage? How do we get the right equipment in the in the face of equipment shortages for our frontline staff. Whether that's a slate on a stick or whether that's a full integrated uh, PACS unit for one of our radiologists that now has to work from home, we've been responding to all of those details uh, to make sure that the machinery continues to operate at high efficiency despite a change in environmental stressors. So. It's a lot, of, a lot of pieces that go on there behind the scenes that yeah. our teams are working hard to help support.
0: And, and what you just said really reaffirms what I would have known and expected, because when I heard from uh, Dr. Green, one of our intensivists who's running all of our uh, need for critical care beds and, and, and really probably the whole um, system, uh, when I heard him speak about uh, his conversation throughout the state of how prepared we were and his reference to uh, our labs – Uh, here being able to do the rapid turnover of the uh, COVID testing because we are one of the few in the region. Actually, we're the only one in the region that has that ability to do that PCR testing because people like Dr. Longshore and Dr. Lipford uh, took the initiative early on and had it in place for us that our turnaround time can be between 4 to 24 hours versus others in the state having to wait 7 to 10 days. You know, that kind of forward thinking and that kind of preparedness that you're talking about with regards to us vetting uh, so many different technologies and partners, again, makes me completely proud to, to be part of Atrium because we are turning over every rock uh, and, and, and and looking at every nook and cranny before you others bet. date. And, and that's awesome.
3: And we're doing it twice. We're turning the rock over to getting the solution, but then we're turning it over a second time to make sure the solution is smooth. On the state call, it was very clear, and we all had a good giggle that in one of our uh, uh, state uh, uh, neighbors, uh-huh. that is well known and a very well-respected institution, they have nine orders, nine orderables to order the COVID-19 test. What? And that's that's because there are a lot of platforms that yes, yeah. our teammates order one thing, and yeah. then we sort out behind the scenes which platform it goes to, and you've you've highlighted the great work that the lab has done, we have all the platforms that we need, and yep. we can flex them based on supply chain issues and availability and venue to give us the fastest result and make it as smooth as possible for the frontline providers not to have to keep straight any of the details, Wonderful. and that's that's the secret sauce.
0: Well, the secret sauce is the collaboration and working together, right, and, and talking through it. And and you guys are doing it great. So let me ask a couple more questions. Uh, You had mentioned data analytics, a lot of the things that are going on behind the scenes. I actually had the privilege also to interview Dr. Andy McWilliams and Phil Turk, who are helping with the prediction and are forecasting for the surge. And as you mentioned earlier, the surge, at least based on our geographic evaluation, rather than something that could be from University of Washington, which uses death data and so forth, uh, it shows that our surge will happen, you know, first part of uh, of May, which is great. It gives us more time, and it's also showing that it's going to hopefully flatten the curve. Uh, so, but what we're also doing is what you both alluded to, the virtual hospital. So, uh, Becky or Pam, do you want to share a little bit about the virtual hospital and, and sort of other ways that we're, we've implemented something very quickly and very effectively?
2: Pam, you want to? Sure. I'm happy to do that. Um, so we actually, it's a very tight timeline. We actually got the request on a Saturday morning and um, it, w- it came to us more as of a, a concept. And we had physicians that really felt like we could manage um, a good number of patients virtually. So We got all of the teams together um, two Saturdays ago and um, made some goals, and we said we wanted to have our virtual hospital units live and ready for admission on that Tuesday at 8 a.m., which we were able to do.
0: (laughs) That's impressive.
2: Yeah, so, um, and, you know, we had great partnership from operations. They really were able to tell us what they needed. And so we started with um, how would we build this within the system so that, again, our providers could use and um leverage common workflows, so all the way to bed management because these are bedded patients. so many of them go through bed management and we make sure that we can meet their needs at home. Um, it's in collaboration with our paramedics team our paramedicine team where we make sure that um, we can deliver the care they need and the time frame that they need before we admit them to the acute care virtual hospital. And then we have a virtual OBS unit that is really managed um, from a telemedicine standpoint. Mm -hmm. And um, on our, I think our fifth day of the the OBS unit, we were able to add on a self-monitoring app through a get-well loop. And this is an app where the patient, um, we send them, as soon as we admit them to the hospital, they receive a text and then they're enrolled in a self monitoring application on their phone. And they are given instructions on what they need to, um, symptoms they need to manage, when they need to call and check in with us. Um, There is a quick way that they can send a note to a nurse. Um, So our nurses are working from a dashboard, and we can quickly identify when one of our patients in our virtual units um, has escalating symptoms. So that we can get them in touch with a doctor, do a virtual virtual. Sorry, you're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> a virtual, a virtual consult. Yeah. So, so that they could do a virtual consult right at that moment and intercept that patient before they get critically ill at home. Um, it's been great. It's been very facile. We've been able to stand it up quickly. And right now, I think we have 120 patients now that are managed through our self-monitoring app.
0: Um. Yeah, you know, I could keep on going because, one, I love technology, I love information science, and you guys are highlighting so many things we're doing, um, you know. But I want to make sure that I also respect the audience who, you know, are are glad to hear this stuff. And I want to leave them with a couple of other quick questions to you all. Um, Social distancing, that was something that was asked and, uh, and, and, and completed by everyone. How did your group handle that?
3: Wow, that that was pretty good I, I think we're <laughs>
0: Becky why don't you, you take
3: this one, but I think we're up to a bunch of almost everybody's home
1: yeah so one of the things that we we recognized instantly is that we really didn't need to number one we, we've got to keep the lights on from our networking from our security safety from our clinical and our revenue systems and we needed to not only protect the teammates that help service those very vital parts of our organization the best way to do that is with social distancing because many of us work in these very tight um cubicle spaces within 801 and some of the you know waterage a lot of other locations throughout atrium health so one of the first things we did was we mobilized our team to a work from home and of course being in the i.t world you know a lot of us did have that um the capability with you know uh, monitors and or um, um computers etc to make that happen really quickly so i, I believe it's several thousand that you might have the exact number but um several thousand teammates so we instantly moved to a virtual space the other thing that we did is you know we have an entire education uh, training and support team that also needs to operate in a virtual space and luckily we had a lot of tools already in place um, such as adobe connect where we can connect with folks who need some assistance and guiding through using our applications but we also needed to convert our in-person classrooms to a virtual setting mm-hmm. so we're still working through the kinks of, of that you know as, as you can imagine um, we still do have to have new teammates so as they get oriented and they come on to our system they have to still come in and get a badge and fill out some you know tax paperwork but in general then we're, we're able to send them to their home so that they can do their training virtually and even if they do need to use one of our computers we're, we're set in the process of setting up space so that they maintain a six foot distance and that then it's a safe environment for them to continue and get onboarded and trained in a, in a right way so um, our team was really focused heads down on how to get our team set up virtually and then of course we've expanded that out throughout the entire organization so that everyone can have a seamless working experience and still contribute and continue the great work that we provide every day. Matt, Pam, do you have anything else to
2: add to that? I think that's a great answer. I I would just probably launch off of the virtual management. Also, Becky, there's been a lot of work done from a physician to physician in the virtual space within um, the hospitals and the inpatient units, as well as nurses using virtual tools so that they can help other nurses.
0: I think uh, our, our, our concerns about using virtual has uh, should have been, that ceiling has been broken, right? Uh, I think right. That, uh, that, we're in a new era now. All right, last couple of questions. Yeah, so, Saj, we're,
3: oh, we're, sorry. We're, we're trying to be social with it, too. We're having, like, you know, virtual taco lunches. We're having virtual <laughs> cocktail parties. We're really trying to be one with our team and get everybody still to know that you're still out there. This, this whole idea of human connection is hard to lose. Yes. But we're doing our best through the use of Teams and, and I think it's really escalated our, our team's transformation from Skype, so that'll be a great thing for our team. And,
2: yeah. and also for chaplains, Yeah. Uh, Becky's been working very hard to get the chaplains the tools that they needed um, to support our patients, as well as um, nurse-to-nurse communication, patient-to-family communication. I think that all of those areas um, will continue to expand.
0: Well, and and I've I've said this a few times, and you might not have heard this, but even though social distancing has been intended to keep us apart, I'm seeing so many efforts and ways that we are using uh, different modalities to actually bring us as a community even closer together. And and whether it's the lunches, whether it's these other modalities to to make sure we stay connected, we've not lost that, probably enhanced it even more. So I I completely agree with you. right, last two questions, real quickly. Uh, how do you see the morale uh, of your teams during this time How how is it going open
3: open open Becky, open. i mean
1: <laughs> i think it comes in and in, in it waxes and wanes just like i can imagine many teammates are feeling throughout the entire organization you have good moments and um i know personally in our team and even in just the folks on the call you know we get excited when we can move something really something forward really rapidly that maybe know historically would have taken us a couple months to work through the details and now we're able to turn something around in 24 or 48 hours I do think that it's also given our team you know we really like to deliver something as fully baked all the processes worked out all the operational understanding everything working exactly as we intend and and unfortunately in this situation we may not have that luxury of time To be able to make sure that everything's working as designed and is perfect but i think that our team has also adopted a new sense of grace in the fact that we might not get it exactly perfect we're going to listen you know not take things personal we will all focus on what the task and the job to be done is and we will know that we're heading in the right direction so I think that's, that's a great thing that we're going to take and hopefully continue that long after COVID is a distant memory for all of us, but that we will take that grace forward and they will continue to say, like, as long as we're moving in the right direction, we know we're doing something good, whether that's for our teammates, for our patients, for our clinicians, it won't matter.
2: I, I agree, Becky. And I think, you know, the team has worked very long hours. Many of them are working seven days a week for the last three three weeks, just because the work has required that but they have a strong connection to the work and they want to deliver the tools that our clinicians need and ultimately we want to deliver the best care we can to the patient so they're all willing to roll their sleeves up and do whatever it takes
0: excellent all right the last question then i'll start with dr sullivan what advice would you give to our listeners uh, who are listening to all the hard work you're doing uh, that we're doing and what would you give them as advice for right now?
3: Well, I don't know if I would give them advice, but I would give them some hope uh, that we are all committed. I mean, we've been working tirelessly. It has been uh, four solid weeks of just fingers on keyboards from lots of people working countless hours to make their jobs as painless as possible, knowing that it's incredibly difficult to be a frontline provider. I think that We are doing everything we can with the full knowledge that nothing is perfect, and we're trying necessarily not to make it perfect, but to be good enough to get us through it. And then we'll smooth out the rough edges as soon as we can catch a break. Um, And so I would ask for a little bit of patience um, and a little bit of high-touch communication. I know that our providers across the organization have not always read the education that we send out. And I realize that we're getting, you know, roughly 50 emails about COVID every week, uh, or more in some cases. I think there needs to be some uh, some dedication to at least trying to be as up to date as you can on the processes because they're changing rapidly. the The management of the of the illness and the pandemic is changing rapidly, and as we start to escalate and become uh, part of that. Um, exponential portion of the curve as we enter into the first part of May the rapid cycle changes and the and the necessary adaption uh, is going to be critical so pay attention to what's going on as best you can reach out to get clarification and we'll help in as many ways as we conceivably
0: can excellent Becky any any words of advice
1: you know, I think Matt really hit it on the head. You know, a lot of times people don't understand, you know, we don't expect them to understand all the intricate details that happen behind the scenes. What we want them to just be able to do is focus on being a clinician or being a registration person or being the security, you know, the security personnel or, or whatever their role might be. Our, our job is really to make their job easier. And so we're all committed to making that happen. So it, it does mean for a lot of long hours, early mornings, and all-night calls to make sure that we're doing it right. And I just can't thank the teammates enough for what they're doing, and most importantly, being receptive to anything we might quickly bring to them, or we need quick information and feedback on. And they're able to give us that um, that information so that we can help make sure that everything is as best and as
2: most productive for them as possible.
0: Thank you. How about you, Pam? Any any uh, last words of advice?
2: Yeah, you know, I'll go back to the the people process and technology is um, a theme that we often use in our work daily, and I would engage the decision makers for the process early. Define who those people are, make sure that they're at the table, and then, you know, really embed an IT person there that can help them problem solve and offer up solutions that will meet their need. And when all of that happens in collaboration in, in a tight time frame, you'll be able to mobilize much faster. Um, but, and then I would just, you know, state again, let's leverage existing workflows and say, well, how would we have solved this problem with another issue before? And then it really does streamline the work for the teams and it continues to help them um, move forward.
0: Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you all for taking the time to chat with, me and letting our listeners get uh, the first-hand perspective from you all and i do agree with you becky that i think we are moving in the right direction and uh everyone is looking to and should be expecting some grace during this time because not only are we moving fast we're moving well and we're moving intelligently so with that i thank you for your time and i really appreciate this opportunity thank you thanks
1: thanks so much dr joy
0: these discussions reveal our passion, our commitment, and our culture. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay Atrium Health Proud.